And this is Talking Tales, the podcast. We are back for another episode. Now, look, don't get upset about my voice, all right? Bear with me through this episode of Talking Tales. I don't know whether Houston wants to have, like, a season change every day or what, okay? But I'm a little bit under the weather, but we're going to bear through it. This episode was actually totally Randy's favorite. Well, actually, it's from my favorite rapper, Jay-Z. Of course, Demez knows that. 99 Problems. Demez, go ahead and give that intro on who wrote that. Jay-Z, of course, is the artist of that very famous song. It was written by Marcus J. Guillory. Um, He's actually someone, he's been around a long time, but he's mostly been a co-writer, kind of behind the scenes. This was one of his first times having the cast and crew all to himself. Yeah, and it was directed by my girl, Tasha Smith. Now, she's a twin. You guys probably know her from uh, Why Did I Get Married and, and a, a slew of other movies, okay? She's been in the industry for a while. She's an actress. She's a motivator. She's a director, and she directed this episode, and I thought it was great. Her handle is Tasha Smith for real. So you make sure you guys go ahead and give her a round of applause because I think she did a great job directing this. Don't you think so, Demez? I think she did an amazing job. Um, I know Totally Randy said this was her favorite episode, and I have to agree with her. Out of all the episodes of Tales so far, this has by far been my favorite. It starts off with images of protest, with images of black men and black women standing up to dogs and water hoses and on college campuses. And it is seamlessly, seamlessly goes in to, an, um, to the setup where you have the mayor of the city and he is at the state college and he is sitting there saying black lives matter is a domestic terrorist group. And those words, they flowed out of his mouth so effortlessly because I believe that in our society right now, you have a lot of people that feel like Black Lives Matter is a terrorist group. So this episode, it was such a great departure from rap songs and storytelling to mixing up rap song, storytelling, real life, and politics. Right, and I'm, I'm not sure if Irv Gotti or the writer or if it was Tasha who actually used real life images and videos. So I don't know if they got that from Jay-Z or if they were just like, hey, this is what we're going to do. But you guys see some pretty familiar videos from some modern times, not just regular protesting from the 60s and civil rights era, but some modern times protesting and some modern time um, police brutality. And one of them that... that Oh, grab my heart for a split second as you see the young kids, uh, the young girl that was leaving the, the pool party. Um, she's like 14 years old and the, the officer threw her to the ground and you see that in the opening images. So they kind of set you up for, hey, what you guys are going to get. And those two college students that um, is actually talking about the protest that Demez mentioned there is Ryan Nicole Brown. She's the actress and she plays Jermaine Ruby. I thought that was pretty cool. Give her <laughs> that name, Jermaine. And Peyton Alex Smith, they did their thing. Peyton played Miles Battle. Okay. And they did their thing. I thought that was pretty awesome uh, that these two young kids, they're rising right now in, in the field of acting and in Hollywood. And they actually did an amazing job, you guys. And that's the thing about this episode. The first several episodes of Tales, you saw a lot of familiar faces. I think the first episode featured Boris Kojo. Um, the last episode, well, the episode before last featured Lance Gross. 
This episode, you see two people that weren't really familiar with. You'll recognize their faces, you know, from some roles here and there, but we aren't familiar with them as leading role actors. But in this situation, it was amazingly charming to see how, even though in the face of this protest and the police and the riot gear, like this, like this show literally starts off with, it, it takes you back to the Black Panther Party in Oakland in the 1970s, where you have young black people standing in there and young Jermaine Ruby is giving a speech, basically saying we should not be moved. We are ready to go to war. If they want to disrespect us, if they want to fight us, we will fight back. I'm not scared. And the whole team around them are basically like, hey, look, you two, you two need to get out of here. And when they walked outside, Jermaine, she was ready to go. She was ready to go to the courthouse. She's ready to burn it down. She's ready to go to war. And he kind of told her, he calmed her down and was like, look, the movement needs us. We especially need you. And at that point is when the story kind of starts because you see these two. And it's kind of funny because obviously you can see the chemistry between them. But at this point, you don't really know if they're lovers or friends that are very flirtatious or in a relationship. But it's like a college not serious yet relationship. You just can see their chemistry. Right. And I, I, I thought it was very interesting that you see Miles, played by Peyton Alex Smith, stare at her like in awe, okay, um, on a number of occasions. And they're setting it up like, well, well, obviously it goes to history that Black Lives Matter was started by a woman. And I like how they hit history straight out the gate like that. And they're setting it up that Jermaine, which is, is Ryan, the, the girl, she is played by, I'm going to nickname her Ruby. Can we do that? Because if I say Jermaine, I think you guys are going to be thinking a guy. So we're going to call her Ruby. Okay, guys, it is her last name, but we're going to call her Ruby. Is that okay with you, Demands? What do you think? I'm good with it. All right. So so Ruby is really set up to be this uh, strong fierce woman and i love the way they develop their character i love the way that that um the writer and the director develops their chemistry because it could have easily switched into she's emasculating him she's the leader her her contact is rashida and rashida gives her the contact like she's in as soon as they hear domestic terrorists and the tv turns off ruby begins speaking first you know, and it's set up like she's the leader. She's strong. She's fierce. However, she can't do any of this without Peyton. Okay, so Ruby is pre-law and Peyton, I'm sorry, or Miles is a history major. And so you see this girl, she's pre-law. She's very strong. She has a lot of strength. You don't know this at the time, but her father is actually in prison as a domestic terrorist for his role in a 1983 bombing that took place with uh, the University of Texas. So you don't know this at the time, but she has the most passion for Black Lives Matter. Matter Like Miles is really like, I'm here, I'm riding with you. And I love that they have that chemistry between each other. And I love that she's made as the powerful one because I feel like the world at this moment loves to pit black men and, and women against each other. And they want to make the black woman strong and powerful to emasculate the men. But she doesn't emasculate Miles at all whatsoever. In fact, Ruby actually needs Miles to get everything accomplished. She can't do it without him. And I think she does say that, right? Yes. And that sort of leads into them becoming 
uh, I don't want to call them refugees, obviously. That sort of leads into them leaving this college life, leaving this cocoon, where activism is sort of like an after-school project. You put on your T-shirt, you paint posters, but you still go to your dining hall, you still have to study for your exams. Well, they leave all this. Now they're actually fugitives from the law. And you see them go from this college campus to the hood. You know, they're walking down the street, there's abandoned cars, there's stray dogs, there's, you know, um, homeboys everywhere. And they walk up to a house and there's four or five guys on the steps. They're looking at them kind of mean. They're asking them, what do you want? They're like, we're here to see old buddy. I can't remember his name. Blue. Blue. I just remember he had on a dashiki and a beard. <laughs> Anytime a guy has on a dashiki and a beard and he around a lot of gangbangers, he used to be a gangbanger. Right, Charles Malik Whitfield, you guys. <laughs> That's who Blue is played by. He does not have a Twitter, okay? We were trying to find it because we were extremely petty. And we were like, we can't help. If you don't know who Charles Malik Whitfield is, he played Otis Williams on The Temptations. So, of course, there's a gift that says, ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. And we absolutely fell out. Like, as soon as I saw him, I, I tweeted that gif out, and you guys actually loved it. Okay, so, yeah, Charles Malik Whitfield did his thing as Blue. I mean, he still had some of the same, like, I'm not judging you, but I'm judging you attitude in this, and we loved it. Yeah, and the thing that really made it cool was that right away, you could see the contrast between Blue and Miles. Miles, you know, he, he was still worried about one of his tests, he was, um, he, as a matter of fact, as soon as they walked up to the door, he looked at her like, yo, we actually in the hood. Like, Miles made it very clear that he's not from here. He's not about this life. And, you know, even when they walked in, you kind of saw the contrast because she knew they needed to be here. He kind of felt like, hey, is there somewhere else we can go? And what happens is throughout this episode, you sort of see that, like Totally Randy said, she's sort of taking the lead. But whenever there aren't people around, you see her vulnerability. So whenever you see a moment where she's like, no, we're going to do this. Black lives matter. I'm worried about the community. I'm worried about my people. They'll fast forward to another scene where she still has that same passion. But now it's the kind of passion where he's like, "Nah, babe, we're doing this together. I got your back. Don't worry about it. And that sort of leads this transition to them being in the house and sort of like going crazy because they can't use their phones and they can't get in touch with their loved ones. Right. And, and even then, even in the house, like he wanted to Netflix and chill. And she's like, are you serious? Like we're on the run. We're fugitives. You know, we're we're underground because that's what that's what it's called. They they went underground. Rashida's like, you guys have to go underground. And we never see Rashida, by the way, but she's texting. OK. And they go underground and he's really all about like, you're so pretty. You're so cute. Like, you're so pretty. Like, you're so cute. And she's really like, I'm about this Black Lives Matter. And so you kind of see it when um, the media does their job. And, okay, so we're, we're going to say it, it is what it is. Whenever black kids get in trouble or they get, um, you know, they get put in a negative spotlight, then they pull everything they can black people period the media will pull everything there they can to demonetize these black people like you know make them just horrible kids and they like found so-called found a rape case um or inappropriate touching case against miles at a school he never been to and of course they bring out the history of uh, ruby 
and talk about her father and how he's in prison. They don't speak how these kids are educated and they're, they're in their senior year of college. They don't bring up their GPA. They don't bring up the fact that Ruby is a pre-law major or that Miles is a history major. And you can see that he speaks history. He speaks historically. And she, you know, obviously speaks on an argumentative side, on a debate side, on her pre-law. They don't bring up any of these accolades for these kids. They bring up things to put them in a negative light, which is also very true to our present history. And another thing that I noticed this episode, from the very first credits all the way through the entire episode, you hear so many references and so many pictures. When they were in the apartment, when they first walked in, um, he mentioned Stokely Carmichael. Stokely Carmichael, of course, was a revolutionary Back in the 70s, uh, he's somebody that had to go on the run because he allegedly shot a police officer, was later um, found not guilty. They mentioned uh, James Baldwin. They don't mention Baldwin, but they have a picture on the wall of Baldwin. A very, very talented writer. He really fought for human rights, not just African-American rights. And he was later almost banished. He had to stay in Paris for most of his adult life because in America, he was seen as somebody who was causing confusion. So throughout this whole episode, whether it's the protest images of real life, whether it's the political figures or the social figures, they keep welding everything together. And that's what makes this episode so unique because there was not one time where I didn't feel like it could not have been um, myself and Totally Randy or another couple we know or another friendship we know or whoever. It's just, it's not possible to not see yourself in that. Even if you weren't protesting, it could be something as simple as a hit and run and you know you didn't do it and all of a sudden you're on the news like, yeah, you know, my father didn't return a book report in eighth grade. Right, so look... Exactly. I, I totally agree with you, Demez, um, especially with her passion, because Ruby is so passionate, like she can barely breathe. You just see her like, oh, I can breathe. Oh, this we got it. Oh, she, and she's she's extremely, extremely, extremely passionate about, you know, what she believes in and what she believes in is simple. It's nothing to do with terrorism. It's nothing to do with putting America down or or, you know, any of that. It's simply stopping violence against black people. And Blue asked her that when they walk in, what are you about? And she's like, we're about stopping violence against black people. And she knows what she's about immediately. She didn't have to think about it. She didn't have to take time. Like, she's about that life, you know, stopping violence, period. And, you know, these kids are young and you just see them go through this transition of, you know, oh my goodness, we can't talk to our parents. Which, by the way, Tasha put herself in there. She plays Malik's mother. We only see uh, Malik's mother. We don't see uh, Ruby's mother or father. But obviously her father is in prison, so we don't see him. Uh, but we don't see her mother either. But Tasha, she puts her herself in there. Good job, Tasha. I like that. So, yeah, moving on. Um, they have some help. Because don't we all? We can't do it by ourselves. And one of the person that helps them is the carrier that's who she is okay they have a secret meeting with the carrier played by legendary yes i call her legend look up her roles okay she has been in a lot of stuff her name is tyra farrell you might not know that name but i bet you do know ricky and Doughboy's mom <laughs> from boys in the hood that's who played their mom and that's who played the carrier and how she in how did she enter? I enter and then I exit. It, she's sitting on a park bench and they walk up to her 
And, you know, they're kind of nervous. They're not they're new to the game. All right. They're college kids. They aren't used to playing the spot game. So they sit on the bench. Both of them are kind of looking. Miles says, yo, let's go. This obviously not the right woman. But, you know, um, she looks at him and she said, Ruby, Ruby looks at him and she's like, boy, sit down. And Miles is like, no, nah, come on, babe, let's go. And Ruby, once again, she says a cold word. When and where? When and where. Okay. <laughs> so she says, when and where? The lady doesn't really do anything. When and where? She doesn't really do anything. When and, hey, girl, calm down. <laughs> so she tells her to calm down. And as she's sitting there, she's like, y'all need to calm down. Y'all have to go underground. Y'all have to hide in plain sight. Y'all have to be a part of the movement. This is way more important than the two of you. You two have started something that has gotten bigger than you can even imagine. But don't worry about it because the network is what they call themselves. We have lawyers for you. If you get arrested, we have safe houses for you to go to. And she's basically like, hey, look, we know what's going on. Calm down. We're going to get you out of this. But unfortunately for you two, this is just bigger to you. So this isn't about talking to your loved ones. This isn't about your friends or Facebook. This is about hiding in plain sight until we get a game plan. And that's when you see the both of them kind of look at each other. Once again, it's several instances where they do this and they realize this is real. Right. And she she actually points out that they're in love uh, because Ruby turns to Miles. And that's when she says, I can't do this without you. If I go to jail, if you go to jail or if I go to jail and she's she's freaking out. And wouldn't you be? I mean, you can't talk. You're in college. You can't talk to anyone. You don't know if you can graduate. Like, you think your whole life is ruined, is going down the drain, and you have to rely on complete strangers. And so that's when the carrier is like, you guys are in love. Okay? And she points that out. Ruby denies it. She's like, love? No. No. You know, even though we know, like, you can see their chemistry the whole time. And like Demez said, you don't know if they're in a relationship. You don't know if they're friends who love each other or friends who like each other. Like, you really don't know. But you, all you know, you do know is that they have this, this chemistry. And the carrier kind of looks at them, like, with the side eye that, you know, you guys are in love. Because it's like she's reminiscing about her own uh, past or her own flame or her own uh, love within the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, at, or at her time, civil rights movement, you know, and you see that in in Ruby and Miles. And I love that because, again, like I said, you know, I was looking for that line for Ruby to tell him, I can't do this without you because we are set out to be these strong black women who don't need a man. We're independent. We take care of our own. We are the most educated group. Okay. I had to I had drop mic drop on that. All right. It's it, the statistics are out there yet. And still we do. They are our head. They are our leaders. Even if we're leading, sometimes bosses lead from behind, right? They direct. And so that's what you see. You see this, this great sense of unity and kudos to whoever wrote that, whoever directed that. I think that's great in this this era that we're living in. So now they're getting ready to get some additional help. And who did they get that help from? Well, at this point, you know, they're walking and they're hiding in plain sight. Now, to be perfectly honest, hiding in plain sight kind of doesn't mean walking on the side of the freeway. But that's what they were doing. They were walking on the side of the freeway, holding hands, being little revolutionaries. And all of a sudden, a police car sees them and they start to run. And as they're running, they cut through a black owned auto body shop. And then they run into a breeding shop. And as they run into the breeding shop, 
the woman is like, you know, she's full on black woman. Don't come bringing this mess in my shop. I don't want no police in here. I don't know what y'all doing here. And a woman sitting in the chair is like, yo, chill. That's those two kids with Black Lives Matter. You got to help them. And it gives you a very much of an underground railroad kind of vibe from the standpoint that throughout this whole show, they start off at Blue's house and then they meet an agent in the park and then they go through a black owned garage and a black beauty shop. And in all these instances, you have these older black people looking out for them, helping them being a community. And these kids don't know what they're doing. You can even tell when she tells them like, you know, what are y'all doing? Like y'all in trouble. I know y'all in trouble. I know y'all did something. And they kind of look at her like we didn't do anything. And even in that moment, you can tell she was somebody's mom because she sort of looked at them like, yeah, y'all getting on my nerves, but ain't no way I'm let the police get y'all. And, you know, she goes outside. She tells the police, hey, they ran this way. They ran that way. And then next thing you know, you see them going in a motel room, counting their dollars, you know, trying to make sure they can still stay on the low. Right. And, uh, and Rashida, the whole time, uh, she has to be some dope techie nerd because she's texting Ruby and um, she sends her a video. Now, out of everybody's name that I got, okay, because totally Randy's supposed to keep up with everybody's handle, which, by the way, I'm going to give it to you guys because I really think you guys should follow Ryan Brown and uh, Peyton Alex Smith and Tasha For Real and, you know, all these amazing people who work on Tales on BET. But I did not get who played the fake Trump, okay, because we, we kind of had a Trump. I mean, they had... Uh, he was the one that that called them domestic terrorists, and um, he's sitting down. They have a video with him. He's sitting down. And he's talking to his buddies, okay, and he's talking about how black people are basically monkeys and how he likes a good monkey. He likes to get his educated and well-bred monkeys and make them do things for them. And he's in the comfort of his own uh, people, and so. Uh, that's the first video they get and they're like hey we got a good deal and then the person the anonymous source who sent the video they're like you know what um i want to meet you guys and when they meet up with the person who sent the video he was the assistant um to the mayor i mean one very important aspect of that video is not just that he called them monkeys but it's something else he said he said that they love fame they're willing to sell out their friends, their family for fame. If I tell him to jump, he's going to say how high. If I tell him to go run in the corner and give me a drink, he's going to go run and get it. I, I think the rationale behind saying that was, hey, look, if we take the quote unquote good ones and make them ours and separate them from the revolutionaries and the blues of the world, then we have the ones that, you know, we can manage and the ones that are actually going to be able to convince others to do the right thing. And that's sort of the vibe that I got from that conversation, which was, hey, look, each one of us has to have a monkey to not just do what we say, but to be a good role model for the other ones out there so they won't go with the Black Lives Matter route. Right, exactly. And uh, Benning is that guy's name. And he meets up with them and they're they're a little afraid. I mean, and I would be I would be terrified. And so I ran a poll, okay, on social media. And as soon as Benning showed up at the park because he was the anonymous source, I was like, Do you guys think that Benning is going to 
you know, double cross them. And 45% of you guys said, yes, he is Ray Lewis Cooning. Okay. And I thought that was so hilarious. Uh, but Benning actually did not double cross them. As a matter of fact, um, he gave them a little tip that the mayor was going to be meeting up with all of his big donors and all of his supporters in a private meeting without media who is known for that i mean all of the trump references is really out there because trump was the first one to call you know american media fake news nobody else has ever done that like i mean don't get me wrong there's been mayors and and, and presidents and people that didn't like certain media but for for all intent and purposes media has always been respected by politicians but trump is like no get out you're not wanted here we don't want your news outlet here and so it was the same with this guy that i can't think of his name but who cares about his name right <laughs> he's one of those guys to be perfectly honest with you um if you watch any kind of tv any kind of movies you know his face he's probably been in 300 movies 300 tv shows He's just not very memorable. Oh, and by the way, I didn't mean who cares about the actor. I meant who cares about the role, but I didn't get the actor's name either. I don't care about the actor <laughs> or the role. Um, if you play Come a bigot, on. if you play a fake Trump, no, then I ain't mess with you in real life either. No, you so, can't say that. <laughs> I don't care if I see him on the Godava Diaries. I still ain't gonna mess with him. No, you know that's not that's not fair. You know there's a guy, there's an actor. Y'all, you guys all know him. He played in Mississippi Burning. He's he's the actor. He's the white actor that he always play a racist boy. This is the way he talk. That's Daryl's brother. Yes, Daryl's brother. Okay, Darryl, on the Walking Dead. Shout on out the Walking, walking Dead. Dead. There we go. Shout out to the Walking Dead and the Talking Dead. Look, um, yes, that's Daryl's brother. Okay, he has actually said that he's like, oh my goodness, I am like literally considered a racist everywhere I go. And you should be. No, because you know what? And they was right to leave you chained to that water heater on top. You know what? That's I'm so a, mean. I'm gonna calm myself down. That is so mean. This is not a Walking Dead show. That's right. This is a Talking Tale show. That's right. So. Let's get back to the business at hand, all right? <laughs> Y'all forgive Totally Randy for, like, getting me all riled up. I love everybody. I do it all the time, right? Okay. So, listen, he's there, and, of course, like Benning said, you know, loose lips sink ships, okay? And when he get that oil in him, all right, his lips get loose, and that's exactly what he did. So, they got a bunch of GoPros, which I thought was really great, put them in the centerpieces, and had them live streaming on the net. And what else does that tell you about our people? educated like they're so educated like not only are they educated in their fields pre-law and history but um i keep wanting to call her ryan ruby is a techie you know miles asked her are you sure you're you're um typing through a proxy a proxy makes the domains bounce off so you don't know exactly where it's coming from and she's like yes you know and so she she knows she knows what to do and you need those type of people on your team you know when when you're doing things make sure you catch people smart work smart not hard okay and so they get a bunch of gopros they dress up as waitresses of course there's nothing but black people working in the back as waitresses and maitre d's and cooks so they have an easy shoe in to catch him red-handed which they do and it's arrogance right like that's one of the themes of this show it's arrogance um when they were sitting listening to him talk they had what i call virtual tweets and what that means is they went from table to table kind of allowing the people sitting at these tables to say little quotes. One of the quotes was, um, if black lives matter so much, why are they killing each other? Another quote was, if they're, they they want not job so bad, you know, they need to go work and stop being online or stop buying Jordans. 
Like they're just basically going from table to table, making quotes about stereotypes they have about black people. And they're laughing about it and they feel comfortable. And what makes this so weird is like totally Randy said, everybody working there is black. Um, everybody serving the cooks, everybody. So they finally realize, Hey, look, we're on tape. And once they realize they're on tape, fake Trump is like, Oh yeah, we got to go. We're going to take care of this. We're going to figure out what's happening. And that's when you see the two secret service slash security guys walk back to the kitchen. And that's when you say to yourself, Hey, are these guys cooking? Are they going to stand tall and ride for the team? Or are they going to stand back and watch all this stuff come to an end? Exactly. And they did not stand back. They rose up and definitely took care of the little problem that they had. They should have sent more than two little uh, Agent Smiths down there. They put hands on them. Yeah, they did. (laughs) Especially especially when the guy saw uh, Ryan because, you know... Where have we we lost this? I think this is just period. We've lost it. And I don't know how or why I'm not going to get into the debate of whether women killed it or men killed it. I'm not getting into that debate. But men literally physically and you see it even in our schools, even boys, they will hit a woman in a heartbeat. And cops, like I mentioned earlier, that that's, you know, cop that threw that young she was probably, you guys, 90 pounds soaking wet. Threw that young teenage, 14-year-old girl to the ground, and he's every bit of 270 pounds. You know, like, it's just horrible. And so you see them choking her. One, Someone need her in the stomach. They, they threw her to the ground. I mean, it was just, you know, just a horrific sight. And so you see someone hitting a woman like that. I mean, those guys were really, really, really upset. Side note. Can I do that side note, Demes? Come on, Tails. I mean, I get it. I get it. You guys are like in the first beginning stages. I need some more realistic fighting scenes. I mean, I really felt like I was watching 1980s Bruce Lee. I can't relate to what she's talking about, Irv. Um, Irv, I love you, but I'm sorry. 1980s Bruce Lee. You know, I, I can't relate. I love the show. And, um, you know, if you need anybody to write for you next year, I got you. <laughs> so um, that's totally Randy's opinion. That is not the opinion of Tales, the podcast. Irv know it. Irv know it. If he, hey, listen, listen, everything. You can't have all yes men around you, Irv. Have you a constructive criticism person like myself, okay? I love everything about it. Love the directing, love the writing, even love the music, by the way. I need that song, okay? Oh, another shout out, by the way. I saw an interview where Irv Gotti said, Every single song outside of the lead song on the show was done by him and Cheek Santana. That has been his longtime producing and writing partner from Murder, Inc. days. So these two literally listen to whatever song they're going to do that episode. And they go in the studio and do an entire soundtrack based off of that song and the vibe and the feel of the area in which they're in. Now, for all of you who aren't producers or writers that that has to be really hard, right? Like, if I had to take a Langston Hughes novel and then write an entire collection of novels based off of his voice, well, 
I would fail that class. Um, I definitely agree. I think it's so super amazing because I can't even think of the first song, but I'm like, it sounds kind of like a Rick Ross kind of version, like a MGM, you know, uh, produced song. And I'm just like, and 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 for like you said, for Irv and Ching Santana to get in the studio and play music that just it it resonates with the episode, it resonates with the time that we're living in. I mean, of course, Irv you know, Murder, Inc. So he got it naturally. You know, the music is going to be fire, but I hope he comes out with like, you know, like a... um what do you call it? Like a soundtrack to tell sound? Yeah, like, um, you know, Insecurity, I'll have the, like the Spotify playlist. I think um, Tales is probably, at the end of this year, going to have a title playlist uh, considering their partners. They're probably going to put their songs together, get the producing right, and put out a title playlist. So that's pretty cool. So they leave the restaurant or the banquet hall, wherever they were. Now, by this time, all of the footage has been seen live. It was basically like, imagine um, Periscope. Uh, it's been seen live. Everybody's seen it. They're freaking out. They get out. They're running. They go to meet the guy that helped them out, the guy that worked as the assistant. The moment they get to the park bench, they notice his throat is cut. Now, I'm going to sound like a hypocrite right now because I know I just kind of told totally Randy that we got to, like, walk the company line. But if you slit somebody's throat, you got to actually slit their throat. Like, you can't have it looking like, <laughs> I don't know, like he cut himself shaving, and all of a sudden he's dead. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I see. I see, you know what I'm saying? It's towards the end of the year. Maybe the budget ain't what it was. But, you know, next time, bro, you got to cut the man's throat for real. Tisk, 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 demands. How are you going to say, hey, I'm great, and then no? Well, sometimes you got to butter somebody up before you, you know, drop it on them. Then you bounce back and say, hey, but I love the show. Exactly. So, look, after after that, we know that Mayor Crest, look who got the name. Oh, my goodness. Don't judge me. It's a no judgment zone here. Mayor Crest. OK, after he killed Benny. No, they killed Benny. Benny finally cleared his conscience. At least he died with a clear conscience. Uh, but after Mayor Crest killed Benny, then um, it was too late for him because they had already live streamed everything that needed to be said. And so now they run back to meet the carrier, the beautiful Tyra Pharrell, and Blue, mm -hmm. which is Charles Malik Whitfield, in a hotel. And she gives them the good news that they have been exonerated. And the funny thing about that good news is, you know, they were both kind of like sad. They were like, oh, my God, you know, Benning died for us because right before they walk in or before they walk in, when they walk in, they tell them, hey, look, Benning uploaded all of the emails to news stations, Facebook, email servers, he, um, the Department of Justice. He gave them everything. So the mayor is going down. The mayor is going to jail. He gets arrested later on in like the next scene. But at that moment, you kind of see like. You know, they tell them, hey, look, don't be sad. You need men like Benny that have basically been, I don't want to use a derogatory term, but they've basically been suck-ups to guys like the mayor their entire lives. You need guys like them to finally say, I'm nobody's monkey. You know, I'm going to do my part for the movement. Because as much as we appreciate the miles of the world and the, I don't know, um, Jesus Christ, this guy name is throwing me off. Um, but the point is, as much as we appreciate Ruby and Miles, you still need people that work on the inside mm -hmm. to help out, too. They work together. 
You can't have the outrage and the revolutionary without having a person on the inside that can get you the documents that has access to the power that's trying to manipulate us. Right. And his name, by the way, guys, Mayor Crest, I know Demez didn't care, but you probably will care because you probably will recognize him. Mike Nowiski. His name is really hard. It's P-N-I-E-W-S-K-I. I got the ski part right. But he has played in Blue Bloods. One of my favorites, Drop Dead Diva. I thought that was really, really awesome. Um, he's played in a lot of stuff. Nashville, he's been in the game. I mean, like Demet said, he's one of those guys. But Shots Fired, Madam Secretary, Killing Reagan. You know, he's always like a cop. Okay, he's he's like like a legendary cop. All right, um, or, or like an agent. Like somebody. imagine what a snitch would look like. Like uh, <laughs> or imagine somebody that would be like like bullying a snitch. Like hey, look, tell me what your homeboy did. Tell me what your, he's that guy, right? Yeah, Demez is horrible. Don't even think about him. But I'm really happy because at the beginning, these kids were really you know they were really concerned about graduating. They're in their senior year of college, and they want to graduate and make the world better. And I love that um, we did the show, you know, that we did, you know, look, I'm taking credit. Tales on BT, please don't get me. Okay, I love that they did the show where these kids don't know anything about the hood, but they were brought back to the hood because we're all one. You know, we're all unified as a people, as a culture, and we all have the same issues and the same problems. And these kids care about the same issues and the problems. And they became the hood. Like, we like to think that the hood is the only one, like some, some... Some black people, the Bennings of the world, like to think, well, the cops don't mess with you if you were doing the right thing. They won't mess with you if you respected authority. They won't bother you if. But no, there is no if when you're black. When you're black, that's it. You're just black. When you're black, you're black. You know, and the good thing, well, I'll tell you what. What I took away from this episode, to be perfectly honest with you, was that regardless of what you're going through in life, like, regardless of the hectic nature of life around you, like these kids were being hunted down by police officers. They were on the run, but they still found time to flirt. They still found time to laugh. They still found time to uplift each other. You know, when he wanted to call his people. She grabbed his phone like you can't call people when she wanted to call her people. He did the same thing. But they're still kids. There was a moment where they talked about Netflix and chill. There was a moment where she asked him for a cell phone. And he was like, um, yeah, you can have my keys, you know, but not my cell phone. Like, it's it's funny because it's a real young relationship where you're like, I ain't really doing nothing. But maybe that's a texting hill for like three months ago. So even though we might get shot tomorrow or today, you still can have my phone. Like, it's, it's funny because it's real life. And that's the good thing about like shows like this. You want to make them serious, but you want to incorporate the fact that these are still kids at the end of the day. Right. And he did say that. That was so hilarious. He was like, you have the credit cards, too, but not my phone. And then he tell Blue, like, Blue was like, that's your girl? On most days. Like, he's some player. Like, really? Yeah. And but, but, but you on the run, though, with Ruby over here. So. Hey, you know, Ruby, you know, Ruby, she's the revolutionary. She's on the phone with Rashida, you know, um, getting all the details, getting all the good information. However, she didn't miss her chance to throw a couple slugs, you know. Hey, yeah, you know, we together, we this, we that. I mean, you know, when you were not there your freshman year, your sophomore year, your junior year, my man literally almost sacrificed his whole life for you, but you going to still throw them slugs at him like, yeah, you were still out there chasing something. Because he was. 
And then he was like, maybe I was chasing one skirt. And she was like, do I have to name names? I mean, she was a full woman. Like, we have receipts, honey. Let me explain something to you. We have receipts. Don't make me name names, okay? Let me explain that to you. The, the she's, she's a whole woman. And you see the essence of her being a woman, even though in this episode, she is the leader. She is strong. She is king, okay, at the moment. Yet and still, she is still a woman. And, and and it's crazy. Yeah, and that's the dope part. Like she was leading, and when the doors were shut, and the eyes were closed, it was him who chest she cried on. Right. It was him who she was like, "Give me some space. Give me some space." And he gave her space because he loved her. But nobody else saw that. Nobody else saw her be vulnerable. Nobody else saw her cry and need to be alone because she couldn't call her mom to see if she was okay. And that's the dope part about their story. And to me, that's why this was the best episode of the season, because it incorporated real life, real love and real people. That's right. And on that note, I think Demez White Mike dropped it. I am totally Randy and I'm Demez F. White. And you are rocking out. Go Astros. Good. Rush.